Welcome back, Two Hats family, to the Two Hats podcast. I'm your host, Chris, your favorite tactical probation officer, and it's my lovely co-host. It's Brittany, your favorite PO. And as always, that is to be debated. <laughs> uh, we have a little, we have a special uh, episode for you today. We actually have a returning family member, Kevin. Um, I can't remember exactly what, what number episode he was in, um, but he's returning. And on top of that, he's bringing somebody special with him. Kevin, go ahead and uh, introduce your special guest for today. Well, my special guest would be uh, someone who I am very familiar with uh, and a uh, is a newly minted uh, probation and parole officer in our uh, department. Uh, and she happens to be my wife. Woo-hoo. And her name is Jackie. Hi. Hey, Y'all welcome, welcome Jackie. Jackie. Thank you. Welcome to the family, to the family. So we're going to do things a little different today since we already kind of spoke in the last episode. And um, I'm sure we'll we'll find it. We'll find out what episode it was and put it in the description. Uh, So if anyone wants to go back and listen to the original episode with Kevin, um, we'll put that in there for you guys. But today, uh, my understanding is Jackie is going through the Probation Pro Academy. And we're going to focus today just on talking about probation officer training. So, you know, Brittany focuses a lot on trying to bring people into the probation and parole family. Uh, I know she does consulting with that. So a lot of people might have questions on, well, what's the training like? And the short answer is, it's different where you live. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Brittany will tell us, how, you know, what she had to go through when she was officer in Texas, and um, all the way up to, you know, there's everything from the, from you know lowest to the low, and minimum of requirements, all the way up to uh, our last episode, episode 25 with Lynn from Utah, where they have to go through a full police academy. Ooh. So Which the probation blew my you know, mind. If yes. y'all want to be POs, come to Texas. It's real fast. One week, you in there. <laughs> so uh before we before we jump into that uh jackie why don't you go ahead and tell us um a little bit about yourself all right um well of course my name's jackie um i have a background in mental health that's what i've done for many 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 years uh, mental health and the social work side of it um recently left where i was to pursue other things. And I landed in probation and parole on a whim, Um, put my application in, really didn't think anything of it and got a phone call, got an interview, and then got a phone call that I got the job. Um, I have three degrees, two of them in business and the other one in human services. Um, That's about it. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Lots of experiences, what I'm hearing, especially on the, uh, the mental health side, I'm sure that, that uh, helps you when you're living at home with Kevin. Trust me, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree with that. All right. So so I want to know is then why, what, what led you to wanting to transition from the service side to the probation side? As everyone knows, I started out as a juvenile um, drug and alcohol counselor. And then I made a transition into probation and parole. So how? So what was your decision that took you from... Um, the mental health side to want to come over here to the the two hat side? Um, really, it was just there was no room for growth where I was at. And I felt that there was more out there for me. Um, 
Yes. I had never really talked about even doing anything as far as probation and parole or law enforcement goes at all, because that's just not my thing. Um, but I have quickly come to realize that I'm utilizing a lot of skills that I already possess and uh, a lot of the knowledge I already know. And it's been very helpful in the little bit of time I've already been working with them. Um, and I talked to Kevin about it and, you know, I said, you think this is a good idea? And he, and he, he very much encouraged me to go for it. He said, if you think you can do it, he's like, I'll back you a hundred percent. And, and so I went for it. Ooh, good answer, Kevin. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> I've got him trained well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm sure you're telling Kevin about your experiences going through the academy. Kevin, has she told you anything in terms of how training has changed from when you went through to what she's going through right now? Uh, there's a couple of different changes, uh, some of which we went through in our in-service this year. Uh, there has been a big push on uh, mental health training uh, with our uh, department. Um, it's the, the training we got is uh, passable, I guess. Uh, it's room for improvement on it. Uh, I came from the mental health side uh prior to coming here too. Uh, and so there's a lot more they can expand on with the training that would help us out. Um, but that is becoming a big, uh, a big push in our, uh, our department. The rumor has not been put out to us though, but the rumor is uh, going around that we're about to start mental health caseloads in our department, which we don't have prior to now. So you guys work in the same office? We work in the same district, different offices. I work oh, okay. in the uh, the mothership, the main district office, and then she works in one of our satellite offices. I didn't want to be in the same office with him. Oh. <laughs> they, they that, that would be, be kind of cool to be at work with your spouse. Yeah, they gave me the option, and I said no. <laughs> Dang, you didn't even take a day or two to think about it? No. <laughs> Because he's he's really established and he's known for what he does and he's I might be biased but he's he's good in what he does and I don't want to be known as Kevin's wife I want to establish myself and get my feet on the ground. Okay, I definitely understand that. Mm. So A strong, Brittany, independent woman over here. Okay, very much. <laughs> uh, Brittany, why don't you why don't you start us off by telling us what kind of training did you have to go through down in Texas, and then we'll. Uh, We'll transition over to Jackie and she could tell us what she's going through right now. I told you it was a week, literally. I was just okay, in the classroom. Tell us, tell us about that week then. I know all these listeners are tired of hearing this, but no, I'm going to tell y'all again since Chris keeps asking me. <laughs> it was literally one week. You go to class from eight to five for the whole week and you take a test at the end of the week and you're done. That's it. It's nothing. Well, what kind of, to what kind of right topics did you about. learn? What did you what learn? Um, they talked about courtroom etiquette, like a couple little laws, but not really. Um, they told you how to dress, like it was simple stuff. And then they talked about the different ways that um, they really, really focused on courtroom etiquette. I don't know why that was such a big deal, but I'm glad they talked about that because I had never been in a courtroom setting like in that capacity. So that was kind of helpful. That was probably like the best part. And then like on day four, they did like um, mock trials um, where they tell you how you're supposed to act when you have to be uh, cross-examined or you have to go in for a, what do they call it? When you get subpoenaed to court. Okay. Yeah, they talked about that, like how to handle that. That was like the most fun day. 
yeah, and you took a test and you and you're done. If you pass, good. If you don't pass, they give you a second chance, and then after that, I don't think you get no more chances. There's no PT. There's no physical test. There's like nothing. Why y'all are sitting here looking shocked? <laughs> I wish y'all could see their faces. <laughs> It's it's been a long couple weeks for me. <laughs> okay, so the first week, um, because of the of COVID still going around, um, it was virtual, and um, it was a lot of online and sitting with your cameras on and listening to a lot of um, different corrections policies, um, and then the revised statutes, the standards, and all that. We went through. New hire orientation, their practices on sexual harassment, and uh, let's see, what else was there? Um, a lot of the statutes, like uh, the legal side of things, like what we can and can't do as peace officers, um, what's permitted, what's not allowed, um, when we can and cannot wear our badges on an, you know, off duty. Uh, what is the deal? I don't want to cut you off, but I don't want to forget about that either. Like, when can't you wear your badge? So when I'm off duty, unless it's a an emergency situation, like declared by the governor, no, he's shaking his head no. So I'm wrong. <laughs> when I'm off duty, I don't have it. Oh, okay. what we can't wear our badges uh, off duty. It, like, especially if we if we're carrying a personally owned firearm, we can't. Uh, wear our badges and display them. Uh, the majority of us, uh, I carry my badge in my pocket uh, because at the end of the day, if something happens and I have to intervene as just a citizen, when law enforcement shows up, I at least want something to say, hey, same team, you know, uh, that way I'm not getting shot at. Um, but uh, as soon as we as soon as we leave our office, we the only place we're allowed to wear our badge outside of the office is from the office to our house. And then we have to take it off. But if we make any stops in between, we're to take it off beforehand. Wow, that and that's for your safety, right? Place. Isn't that for the person's safety? Because mm-hmm. it's like well, if you're off duty, then like the company could be held liable or something crazy like that. It, it is. And it's it stems from the fact that in our state, we are. We are sworn peace officers, but our arrest powers are limited by our own policy. Uh, and so off duty, we have no actual arrest powers more than an average citizen, uh, unless it pertains to an offender. Uh, and which is always comical to me that we're expected if we see something with one of our offenders happen in front of us and we're off duty, we call law enforcement to take care of it. But then I mean, it's like we punch a clock back in and we would just start an investigation right there. Hmm. That's weird because because when I, you know even in when I was an officer in PA and even here in this current state we are required that if we're carrying a firearm off duty, um, we have to have our uh, our badges on us. So even if even if you have a like a concealed carry permit, so in my state, if you don't have a concealed carry permit, you can carry with your badge. Mm-hmm. Concealed or unconcealed, preferably concealed is the departmental policy is preferably concealed. We can carry our duty issued firearm off duty, but we have to use the duty issued holster, which those holsters are 
you know, they're Safari Land holsters with ALS retention. They're not designed to be concealed carried yeah. um, because they kind of stick out because the host the holster is designed for, the, for you to be able to clear your body armor when you draw. So I don't know. Maybe I'm sure maybe there are officers that do that, but you, it's, that's hard unless you're like wearing like like a t-shirt dress. I don't understand how you can still carry that thing yeah. because it is, it's like say it, it hangs low and it sticks out to the side yeah. for a reason. You know, yeah. for when you're in uniform, yeah. Um, yeah. our state's kind of weird with uh, concealed carry. We then a reason, the reason a lot of us carry our badge and our credentials with us off duty is we were covered under Leosa carry. Uh, yeah, with those, uh, our state is weird though in that we're constitutional carry. So any citizen that can legally own a firearm can conceal carry without a license. Uh, while we're on a topic, so does your state specifically address Leosa? No, our, 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 okay. uh, uh, it doesn't, the only, uh, our department, the only way it even addresses it is w- if you retire from our department, they will issue you a retired credential so you can continue to carry. See, that's, that's how my state is too. It's like, they don't, they don't directly address it. Like they don't exactly say, okay, here, you guys are covering Leosha. Here's this, here's that. But they do everything to make sure that you are covered under it. Yeah. Like our, um, state issued IDs, specifically say on the back you know that you know we're a sworn officer of this department we have the we have the we have a full arrest powers and we can carry firearms it says it on our ids which yeah. is one of the requirements for leosha so i just think it's funny how a lot of these departments are like oh well we don't really want to touch it but we'll just make sure that they, they're covered you know what i mean yeah um but anyway i still like i said it's still weird that your state doesn't rec- doesn't want you guys to wear your badges off duty um, like literally that's our job specifically demands it. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's required. You know, think, uh, showing off his uh, badge. No, don't do that. I think they don't want us to be considered or uh, confused with the police. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figure. Oh boy. Anyway, don't have those you know, kind of problems over here in Texas because you know, we're not arresting nobody anyway. But Jackie, I I want you to go ahead and go back to your training. Sorry, I had went off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're fine. Um, so week one was just a bunch of, um, like I said, a bunch of legal stuff and going over statutes and standards and policies and practices. And um, week two was in person. Um, we learned uh, to do the assessments on our people to determine what risk level they are as far as reoffending goes. Um I kind of struggled with it until I realized it was very similar to something I have done with my previous job with assessing for um, psychosis. Um, And so I just kind of translated everything over and went from there. And uh, it was two days of learning and I tested out. We all, the entire class, our entire academy class of 33 at the time, we all passed it. Oh, what's the name of that assessment? Um. It'll identify our state if we give it. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Dang it. It, it is based, based on the ORAS, the Ohio uh, Risk Needs Assessment. Okay, perfection. Um, yeah, it's based Oh, right. I forgot to mention that in my state, we did that um, training, the assessment training, but we did it separately from the probation officer training. It was like two or three days of that, which I hated doing risk assessment. That was like the worst. But anyways... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talk about what I hate. <laughs> um, we okay, talked Jackie. about mental health in both our clients and trying and keeping our mental health as an officer 
in check. Um, That's big. You'll probably get a laugh out of this when we learn how to make a meth lab. <laughs> Can you teach me? No, I'm just. <laughs> Watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> um, we had a gentleman come in, and he, you know, he talked about, you know, when we go into when we have to go into houses, things to look for and identifying drugs and stuff like that. And part of it was learning what a meth lab looks like and how it actually works. So that so we know for our own safety, if we come across one, what we should and should not do. Um, let's see, there was that. That was week two. What else did I do on week two? It's been a rough couple of weeks. <laughs> How much longer do you have? I have one more week left. <laughs> oh, there's only three weeks. That's good. No, it's it's, it's five. five. <laughs> oh, it's five. Yeah, she's just made it through week two. She hasn't made it to week three yet. <laughs> um, so week three was uh, CPR, first aid, Narcan training. Um, what else? Defensive tactics. Defensive tactics. Uh, core correctional practices. Um, Oh, wow. They cram a lot in there. And the OC spray, which I never, ever, ever, ever want to do again. Um, If I have to, I will probably quit. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you've had to be OC sprayed. First day. But the best description I can give you is it's a thousand micro mini midgets running over your face with tiki torches and fiberglass. It it was awful. I would it, never. My department, they asked us if y'all want to carry that, then you have to get sprayed. And I was like, nope, I ain't doing that. Oh my gosh. Well, I wish that was an option, but <laughs> unfortunately it was not. <laughs> so the OC spray was part of the academy? Yes. yes. See, in, in my in my department, you do the OC spray as a part of pre-basic. So before you actually go to training, you, go, you have to go through that. And then but you don't go through that during the actual academy. I don't know. We went through it and we also learned about um, um, the shackles and, and transportation right. um, restraints with, with the offenders, you know, if we have to get them from point A to point B. So that was week three. Um, see, last week it was all range, week four, all range. Um Going over the basics of the weapon, learning the parts, learning how each part worked, taking it apart, putting it together. Um, then we went out to the dry firing li- lines and worked on, you know, drawing your weapon. We worked on how you drop a magazine, put a new magazine in, um, tactical and emergency reloads. Um, learning how to line up our sights. And then we finally got to the range part of everything and, and live fired on Wednesday or on Thursday and Friday, because we had a short week. Um, We had 10 hour days though, because Monday was a holiday. Um, And let me tell you, I don't know if you're looking at me, but I'm usually whiter than a snowflake. So I've gotten quite a bit of sun. I'm a little sore. I Um, bet it sounds like you've been through the ringer, okay? (laughs) Oh, Uh, she's still got the hardest week left. uh, Piece of cake. But uh, we did, um, I'm not, overly familiar with the 40 um, caliber, which is what we use. Um, Is that right? 40 Mm caliber? Yeah. I just feel like I'm saying it wrong for some reason. Um, I prefer a nine millimeter. (laughs) Um, So I've had some wrist surgeries in the past. And so my, my grip and my wrist will get very weak, very quick. And um, so I have to use a wrist brace and they allowed me to use it to fire. Um, And once I got comfortable with the, with it, 
I could see my shot group tightening up and everything else. And we did a uh, mock qualification course yesterday before we left um, for the weekend. And I would have passed with flying colors. We have to hit 35 out of 50. I hit 45 or 46. Um, I know that's right. So I took him out. He was he was gone. He was goner. <laughs> if not, he's not very happy. Um, but we did all sorts of fun drills. Like uh, we did this one drill where we had different colored paper up with different shapes. And we there was three of us in a group and one instructor behind us yelling what we were shooting at. Um, so it was just to, you know, get get used to dropping your dropping down low and then I guess figuring out where you're shooting and then re-aiming and, and going. Um, but that's what we did yesterday and pretty much all week. It was at the range house and on the range. Um, lots of sunshine and no shade. Ooh. And so then this next week we have um, Monday will be night fire. Um, my understanding is, is we go out there to the line. We spotlight the silhouette and turn off the light and we shoot. And I don't even know how many rounds that's going to be, but that's what that's my understanding from Kevin. Um, and Tuesday is qualification day on the range. And then we will start what they call the, um, the mock training, um, for glass houses, just, you know, clearing a house and different situations you might encounter if you're on a home visit, stuff like that. And then graduation will be Friday. Ooh, you ready? I'm ready to be home with some regularity (laughs) because I do not sleep well when I'm away from home. And I'm telling you, I, I've pretty well slept on the weekends. I, and I feel bad because I'm neglecting the family, but if I don't sleep, I'm not nice. I know. I know then the feeling. Then you graduate and your real training begins after that because you <laughs> enter the FTL program. <laughs> oh, wow. So question for you, Jackie. So did everyone in your class, um, well, I guess they, they haven't done qualifications yet. Does it look like everyone in your class is probably going to end up passing or do you have any people that are struggling? Oh, no, 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 no. Um there's about four, um, two of those four. I am, I can say, I can probably almost make you a money back guarantee that they are not going to qualify. On the first go around. They'll they'll give them a couple turns. On the first go around. And I'd be surprised if they qualified at all, to be honest. Um, the other ones, the other two of those four, if they don't qualify in the first go around, they'll get it the second go around. They're just, um, we've got some who have never shot a gun. We've got some who never take it seriously. Um, I've actually been concerned for my safety this week a few times. Mm. Um, we've got one they'll, they go to reload or, you know, you go from strong hand to weak hand grip and everything else. And she's slinging that weapon around and no regard for where it's aimed or whatever. And her hand's always in the trigger. Well, so um, I honestly don't think she's going to pass it. I think she'll be one of my ones for sure. That doesn't pass it. Um, and- let me preface what she's saying that uh, what we've discovered with our academy is when you have prior military service members like myself and my Jackie was also in the military, uh, we have this expectation of what the training is going to be like when we get to the academy. We're thinking it's going to be you know military level training, and I've I've explained to her that's not actually the case. That this is not even basic, you know, Army Reserve easy type training. This is what happens when they give social workers guns and tell us to go play cop for a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an interesting that's way of looking at it. But yeah, um, like I said, there's, I'm sure that, I'm pretty sure that at least two of the four that we all walk, keep an eye on aren't going to get through it. 
The other two, I think, honestly, if they don't make it the first round, they'll get it the second round. So the reason I ask that is because in my state, we actually do firearms first. Because carrying a firearm is mandatory for the job, um, if you don't qualify in the, um, at, the, at the end of the first week um, in night fire and regular day, uh, day qualifications, they dismiss you from the academy. They're not going to waste going through all, all the other weeks and all the other stuff just to send you home at the end or say you don't qualify at the end. And I think we had... I think we had one girl in my class that got recycled. Um, she she did not qualify with a firearm. They they gave her extra training, one on one attention, one on one time on the range, and she just could not get it. Um, and they did end up sending her home. Um, so I think that's why our state, like I said, they kind of get it out of the way first because that's mostly the that's probably the part where most people are going to fail at is the uh, firearm stuff. I think I think the reason they set ours up like that initially is. Uh, for the longest time, PNP was mainly in our state filled with uh, former corrections officers that came over because we're, we're under the Department of Corrections. And so they they come over with the firearms training. And so they were more worried about can they figure out the the actual office stuff. And uh, but what they found now is we have recruits coming in that. Uh, don't even know they're required to carry a firearm. They don't read it in the job description. Yeah. And so they get there and they're, they they weren't expecting it and were intimidated by it. That's one of, one of the ones I was telling you about that I think will pass on the first or second go. She's never so much as carried a weapon. She She's terrified of them. But um, as the week has progressed, we watched her confidence grow. She's still shaky on her feet with it, but she's gotten so much better. And I honestly would feel comfortable with her behind me if I needed a backup. But now there's there's two I would rather them just be in front of me and stay up stay up there. <laughs> <laughs> but see that see that's the that's the part that worries me because um you know I clearly I, I view everything from a tactical approach and I, I'm a really big uh, proponent of officer safety and you know it's just scary when you have these people that they barely qualify you know they 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 they. they you know, I think our minimum score is a 70 something out of 100. And I'm like, you know, and the people are getting like 75s and they're happy. You know, I'm like, that's scary. That means you're missing a lot. And most of our shots are up close. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, we do, man, we do maybe like six rounds from the 15 and six rounds from 25. Everything else is up close. And if you're messing those up, don't be around me. Yeah, 40 of ours are up close um, from three to seven yards, and the rest are a little bit further. But if you hit at least 35, you're good, but you have to be able to shoot from the back lines even if you don't hit it. Yeah, in in theory, you can actually miss all your shots at 15 to 25 and still still pass with the way our scoring works. That's same with ours. Same, Same with ours, but you have to at least have rounds in your magazine to fire from those further back positions, which is the one I was telling you that, you know, just kind of swings it around and doesn't, Listen, when we did the mock uh, drill yesterday, the mock qualification, she he was saying single fire and she was double firing. By the time she got to the 15 and the 20, it, she was she was out. Wow. In theory, she qualified, but because she didn't fire off those back two lines, she didn't qualify. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely scary. That's definitely scary. Um, wow. So you have a loss for words. <laughs> I I am because it's just I mean, listen, are, are there people I work with that I'm like, I wouldn't take you out to go arrest somebody? Yeah, 
Yeah. But do you um, really need a gun to arrest somebody? I wouldn't yes. arrest somebody without a gun. Exactly. Why? Exactly. Why? Why not? Because uh, of use of force up to and including deadly force. That's why. When yeah. you make an arrest, you have the authority to use force up to lethal force, depending on the resistance that the offender gives. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna arrest somebody, you know, and they pull out a gun or they pull out a knife and I have nothing or I have pepper spray. That doesn't make any sense. We uh we recently had a situation with one of our uh, fugitives. Uh, I'm our fugitive our district's fugitive team leader. Uh, one of our absconders was on police radar. Uh, they tracked him down to a house called us in because he was at the house of another offender who was not absconded on active supervision. Uh, our two guy, our probation officers made contact with the uh, initial offender, and then SWAT went in to arrest the other guy. And once they got the absconder back to the sheriff's department to interview him, uh, he had a concealed weapon and shot and killed a deputy. Uh, thankfully, neither of our probation officers were involved in the apprehension of him. They were just they were pretty well keeping the other uh, offender occupied during that time. But yeah, that's I. I would not. I, I wouldn't arrest anyone without my my gun and vest and preferably backup. <laughs> wow. So that means somebody I, dropped the ball and didn't search him thoroughly before they before they took him in a custody before they transported him. Yeah, they haven't released the whole report yet, and we we got bits and pieces of it, so I really can't speak on mm. how well it was searched mm-hmm. or anything like that. Wow. Complacency will get you every time. You know, you when you view things as just routine, that's how they get you. And that's one thing, you know, especially when you, um, Jackie, when you get into the FTO and you start doing, you know, home contacts and things like that, is the complacency. Because there'll be times where I'm like, you know what, I just need, I just need to get this, get this, uh, this contact done so I can clear it off my my to do list. But you always got to slow down, stop yourself, and say, okay, I got to the residence. Let me look around, look for any danger signs. You know, what I mean, let me make sure I get out the car, lock it, make sure I'm, you know, watching my surroundings and keep my situational awareness up. Because a lot of people just kind of huh, 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 go up, knock on the door. Hey, such and such home. All right, you're good. Everything's all right. And I'll see you later, you know. But that's that's what will get you because you never know what's going on in that offender's house when you get there. Right. You don't know yeah, what they're doing. At the end of the day, I want to come back home. So that was one of my exactly. bigger concerns about taking this because. I know there's nights he's he has to go out with the task force stuff and I'm not, you know, I know he's coming home, but there's always that little seed of worry somewhere in the back of my mind that, oh my God, what if one of these people do something ignorant and he doesn't make it home to me? So, um, but we, you know, we talked through, talked through it and we made sure our girls were both okay with it. Um, we didn't need them having that stress of both mom and dad being in the line of fire at any given time. Um and and they understood and they're, you know, they know that he's done this for a couple of years now and I'm coming in new to it. So um, you ask them, I've got the best trainer in the world living right under our roof. <laughs> I would definitely, I would agree. I would co-sign on that one. So, um, so with Jackie's only finishing up the academy in a week and how long after you finish the academy or you issued your badge and your firearm? Already has it. I well, has the badge, no firearm yet. I had, I got my badge the first day I started. Um, that was was just because he had an opening and she, uh, the supervisor had gone and sworn in another officer previously. Um, 
And he was like, well, I've got this open, but after that, I can't guarantee you anything. So she just went ahead and got it done. Um, I was sworn in and I got my badge about a week later. I don't know. It was later in the week, I guess. Yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah. So I think that it, it was only like maybe five to six days into working that I got it. Um, but I have it. Um, and then once I qualify, the gun that I'm qualifying with is my will be my weapon. And um, I will graduate Friday and then I will pick it up as I leave and take it back with me. Man, it is totally crazy how every state does things differently. This is like so when yeah, I was I off not PA, work in neither one of y'all states. That's just too much, too much law enforcement. <laughs> well, and it's scary because like when you're actually working in our department, there's not a lot. I mean, we do a lot of law enforcement stuff, but mm-hmm. it's really more reentry oriented. Uh, yes. That's where the focus and the money is going right now out of our department. The law enforcement side of things is kind of starting to die off a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. Do you see that as um, a trend across... Chris, I guess it's a question for you. Do you see that as a trend across the country that people are dropping off the law enforcement side of things and going more towards the social work aspect? I think... I think all those buzzwords and phrases and the reentry and the uh, recidivism stuff and the cognitive behavioral interventions and all those buzzwords, I think that's what is big money right now. And it's kind of like what people want to hear. But I think the law enforcement side of it, the holding them accountable side, I think should have a higher weight If that makes sense. No, that don't make sense to me. Can you elaborate? Uh, I I think what he means is it can never go away completely. Um, Historically, with corrections in general and then community corrections included, there's always a pendulum swing. We swing from the punitive side of corrections, then, then something happens and causes the pendulum to swing back to the rehabilitation side of corrections. Uh, And we're kind of, swung back towards the rehabilitation side right now. So what what yeah, is causing that, that shift? Uh, well, in our state, if something happens to make the news, then the pendulum swings. Incidents that we actually think is probably going to swing the pendulum back to the law enforcement side with us. Uh-huh. We've got a few big ones lately. Yeah. Yep, that's it exactly. Um, I mean, I definitely experienced that even when I was when I was a juvenile officer in PA, you know, we'd have, you know, they'll be all, oh, let's give them a chance. And, you know, everything is soft. And then when um, overdoses started going up really high um, and then, you know, school shooters and school shootings started hitting the news. No, every, everybody got locked up. I mean, if kids if a kid said the wrong thing at school, you were getting you were getting they were getting locked up. You know, it was it was zero tolerance. Um, don't pass go. Don't collect two hundred dollars. It was it was crazy. Um, Have you guys heard about this shooting that just happened in Texas? Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. the, where they were talking about how the officers didn't go in right away. Like, mm-hmm. hey, y'all heard about it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There was this mom that I just saw on um, on the news. The mom had actually gone into the school to get her kids out. And the mom was actually on probation and they told her, (laughs) they said law enforcement was contacting her talking about she could be facing a violation for obstruction of justice, (laughs) violation of probation, 
or going in to save her own children when the cops are just sitting outside waiting for the shooter to finish shooting, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> that needs to be a situation where a little common sense needs to come in. Thank play. you. Like, what the heck? They kind of, that sounds like they're harassing this lady because they want her to be quiet. And I talk about how the law enforcement dropped the ball on that one a little bit. Things, yeah, I mean, yeah, that sounds exactly what they're trying to do. Yep. Yeah, that's horrible. Has has your state uh, given any directives or anything involving um, like active shooters and helping out or anything like that? No, uh, not really. Uh, we uh, are the only standing directive we have as far as our uh, interactions with law enforcement officers or that sort of situation uh, would be that we don't interfere um, because it's not it, it doesn't. Uh, typically pertain to one of our offenders. However, the majority of us, you know, I've got kids that go to the local high school and middle school. If I caught wind of a situation like that, I'm exiting the door and heading that direction. I hear you. Uh, me too. I've, I've, I've told my supervisor that before. I was like, listen, I hear anything going on in my kid's school. I'm going. I'll, we'll figure it out when I get back, you know, about wh- what the status is. But so, so when I was a juvenile officer, we we actually went through active shooter training with the local police because, you know, the way they looked at it is because we do school visits so much going into schools, checking on our uh, juveniles that, you know, they kind of expected us that we'd kind of be one of the first ones on the scene because we're usually already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done, I've done active shooter trainings with them with the semi munitions and actually going into the school and looking for the, um, the shooter and whatnot. Um, so that was actually some really good training. And so my current state, while we don't have a set policy on what to do, our uh, director has made, has expressed that his desire is that if we're out and about and, you know, shooting is going on, you're in the area. He does expect you to respond. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, you know, that's verbal. But it's nothing written down, so I guess yeah. I guess we'll you know who knows what actually actually you know would transpire or happen with that. But hey, I rather I rather uh, ask for forgiveness and beg for permission, right? Yep. Chris, when you do your home contacts, do you go solo? I forgot. Yes, I do. I do everything mostly solo. Um, there are times, you know, if I'm working with an officer where he doesn't really have many people he needs to see, um, we'll kind of maybe like team up. And you'll know, go see his people and see mine. Um, that always throws the offenders off. When I when I show up on another person, they're like, uh, is something going on? Should I, should I be aware? <laughs> Am I getting arrested? I'm like, no, just you know, we're just out helping each other today because that is such a rare thing that does happen. Um Have you ever yeah, had we, to draw we, your weapon as an adult PO? Mm-hmm. In response to some craziness going on with one of your offenders? Chris. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I had to do that once. Uh, we were serving a warrant. Um, no, sorry. We weren't searching, serving a warrant. We were doing a search on a gang member. Um, and he hopped out of bed with, um, at the time, at the moment, it appeared to be a, you know, a gun. Um, it ended up being a BB gun and he almost lost his life over a BB gun. All because he was worried I was going to find it. I was like, so your idea was to jump up out of the bed with the gun in your hand? 
yeah, he, really yeah he, he almost he almost lost his life and he even even at the end while we we're taking him to jail he still didn't he still wasn't comprehending the fact that he almost lost his life yeah y'all startled him that's why but what about what about you have you had to draw your weapon uh, i have uh yeah. similar situation we were uh uh going to a trailer to serve a warrant uh with uh detectives from uh, our local pd and uh I worked my way back to the room that the offender was in. He was in bed with his uh, girlfriend, wife, fiance, whatever she was. Uh, I entered the room. And as soon as I entered the room, both of their hands were up and the fiance shot her hands underneath the uh, cover of the bed. And so of course that instantaneously, I drew my weapon, gave him verbal commands. Um, thankfully she, I think she was just hiding some marijuana. We didn't, we didn't search. We were just there to arrest him on the warrant. So we didn't really search. It wasn't his uh, actual house we were at. Um, and so we went to cuff him up and he decided that he was going to play games and not cooperate. And so we actually had to get a, get a little uh, physical with him to get his hands behind his back and get him cuffed. Uh, but I've drawn it then I've drawn it clearing houses uh, a lot uh, typically when we go on fugitive operations, we're clearing houses. And so we've, we've almost always got our guns in our hands and we're doing that. But as a regular line officer, that doesn't happen too frequently, right? Um, not, not a tremendous amount. I seem to attract all of the home visits where that does happen. Uh, I don't know why I seem to always be the one that's in the middle of everything. Uh, but in my, uh, little over two and a half years uh, at the department right now. I've had to deploy OC spray. Uh, I had to take uh, offenders to the ground three or four times uh, to gain control over them. So I seem to be the one that uh, attracts all of the uh, resistive offenders. But I'm also one of the more experienced, tactically minded officers in our office, too. So I almost insert myself into some of those situations sometimes. Yeah, you got to think about how many officers, you know, when they meet any kind of resistance, even if it's just verbal or whatnot, in those kind of situations, we just leave and be like, nah, never mind. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know? And I think a lot of, sometimes offenders who have tried that with other officers before and they kind of, it kind of worked where maybe they gave them a little bit of attitude or some resistance and the officer kind of backed down. And when they come up against one that doesn't, they don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I've, I've had a lot of, I've had, I've had offenders. I've gotten their case from another officer and, you know, they'll be like, why are you at my house? I'm like, what do you mean? Why am I at your house? I'm here to do home contact. Oh, my other officer would call me before he comes. There's no, there is nothing in policy that says I have to do that. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. That was their choice, but I don't, I'm not required to do that. I can, I can pop up and come see. So, I, or I see them and I'll come back maybe a, you know, a couple of weeks later. They're like, why are you back again? Because <laughs> there's no minimum amount of times I can come and check on you. There's no minimum. Yeah. Actually, there is a minimum. There is no maximum. Let me, yeah. let me rephrase it. There's a minimum per policy how often I have to come check on you, but there is no maximum. But if you start going every day, you know, that's like low-key harassment. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's unreasonable. That's very that would unreasonable. be unreasonable, yeah. But um, but there is no written amount to say, oh, you can't go more than yes. five times or whatever. There, yeah, that doesn't exist. But there is, there is, there is a minimum, but there is no maximums in the policy. So you know, if I if I feel that you're a high risk, or I'm I'm looking at you for something, or you know, you're constantly testing positive, you know, what I mean, yeah, I'm probably gonna check up more, do more walkthroughs, and see what's going on. Um, apply some pressure, apply some pressure, and see, you know, 
what exactly you're doing. But yeah, there's a there's a minimum, but there is no maximum. And but the reason I was saying all that is because, like I said, they you you have you'll get officers that they do less than the minimum, or their minimum is a little suspicious. You know, yeah, yeah. Like I've had I've had offenders tell me, oh. My officer never comes to the house. They just, you know, pull up to the driveway, call me. I come out. They see my face, and they drive away. What? Yeah, that's definitely not in policy. No policy. That's not what policy says. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to um, switch gears, Trace. I want to switch gears. I need to ask Mr. and Mrs. Po over here about their Instagram if they don't mind sharing. Because they share a lot of their uh, experiences on there. So you guys listening. Let's see what Mr. and Mrs. P.O. That's literally their name, y'all. <laughs> so tell us about your Instagram page. Go ahead. <laughs> um, Kevin had the idea to start it. And um, I was like, oh, okay. And I think he probably started about the time I actually applied. Um, no, when you were hired. Well, it seems like he had the idea before then. But um, <laughs> anyways, so he he's he's the main controller behind it. I just give stuff for that. If he asked me for it. Um, but it just right now he's kind of following along with, uh, my weekly recaps of, of the Academy. Um, you know what he talked about the, the deputy that was shot, there was a tribute to him on there. Um, it's just kind of following our shenanigans and the law enforcement side of things. And, um, and even a little bit into our married life, I'm sure we'll get on there somehow because, it just there's no way it can't um is um, your page um is it public like can anybody yeah, yeah. follow your page okay yeah, because yeah, i am yeah. going to shout it out i'm going to be sending some people your way because yeah. you guys have some entertaining content on there <laughs> we do um uh, when we started it i just kind of started it to uh because we're in two two different places in our uh in our po journey uh, she's new starting out, just going through the initial training in the Academy and finding her place in, in the PO world and everything versus I've been at it for two and a half years, a fugitive team leader in an FTO and all these other things. And so I've got a little more of a, uh, different viewpoint at things than she has. And to me, her viewpoint is refreshing because I remember when I was first starting out and I had all these grand ideas of, man, I'm going to make a difference and, and you know, turn these offenders around and yep. and you start getting some years on you and that starts getting jaded a little bit. And so to yep. me, it's mm-hmm. that excitement and her is kind of refreshing. So I'm going to make sure you guys follow. It's literally Mr. and Mrs. Peel on Instagram. Are you uh, putting your journey on any other platform? Um, not, I, no, not right now. No? Uh, okay. we've, we've talked about, uh, uh, if the interest is in there expanding out, uh, maybe doing a podcast later on or something like that. Oh, Chris, what's the competition? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no competition. It's family. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> Chris. Yes. You sleep? I'm going to have to edit this part out. What are you talking about? I'm right here. I'm using, oh, using, asking questions about the Instagram. Can you, see, can you see all the faces on the screen? Yes, yeah, I see everybody. Okay, because I had to change the layout because it was looking kind of funny earlier. Okay, I mean we're we're just posting voice anyway, so. Um, no, but I couldn't see their faces. <laughs> before, but now I can. Uh, anyway, so 
anything you guys want to share in terms of um you know the journey what you want to accomplish with your instagram page um anything for anybody anybody coming in new into the into the into the career anything for anybody new for anybody new coming in um I would just say, don't be surprised at what you're going to see in here. Um, my second week there, I literally had one start a bunch of nonsense and a offender start a bunch of nonsense in the office. And it continued on as they took him to the county jail. And then when he held his breath until his pacemaker went off and they had to take him to the hospital. Um, I've also had the, uh, I've got one that was messaging this morning. And yesterday telling me he was reporting to me via text message because he had law enforcement contact and I was trying to get him to understand I'm at training. I'm not even in the office. Um, I need you to go down there and talk to them. That way they can make sure they get everything they need from you. Um, but he just wasn't getting it. Um, so like I said, I think with any any job, really, you never know what you see you're going to get. But this one has really uh, been interesting so far. I've only been going at it since mid-April. Yes, I tell people all the time, there's never a dull day with probation and parole. No, not at all. <laughs> Wait, so Jackie, you have a caseload already? Yes. Oh, wow, that's different. Yeah, um, she, uh, what, two counties? Yeah, I've got two counties. Um, the county our office is located in, and then I've got an entire county by itself, just because it's a smaller, less populated county. It's more rural than anything. Um, I probably ain't got but 25 people out of that county. Oh, okay. What's the average caseload going to be? Every day my number changes. So um, I haven't looked at it lately just because I've been at training and whatnot. Um, But Mm -hmm. the last time I did look, I had 105. But I think I've been assigned and removed some. So it's probably still right in there. I would say anywhere between 105 to 109 is what it has was bouncing around between. Our uh, our state average... uh, the uh, the governor actually addressed it here a while back, but they want our state average uh, at 90. Um, I haven't seen 90 in a year. Uh, I've got 100 and I think either 100 and 119 or 120 on mine. Uh, but I'm in I'm in the large county of our district. Oh, okay. Wow. There's cool. not there's not enough time in a day to to, to supervise a caseload that size. Right. <laughs> you don't ever say that when I tell you I had 150. Yeah, but you don't do when, real work though. You ain't really gotta go see nobody. You ain't really gotta like. <laughs> I mean, you don't got like you don't have like mandatory field days where you have to go make contacts and stuff like that. You just yeah, we like do. yeah, we do. <laughs> it's different. You you don't know what a house look like from the from the front porch. Listen to me. You are gonna stop coming for Texas, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, our office right now, um, the two uh, new officers in our district are me and. Um, the one I've been at the academy with, and we're both in the same office. So his caseload's a little bit larger. I think it was like 122. So you've got the people in the office right now. We've even got our PSI writers covering, you know, them coming in and seeing. Um, so, you know, that's 250-ish. Yeah, that's kind of the, people for that's them. the thing with our caseloads. It, you have your own caseload and it, it invariably you've got something else you're covering too. Uh, right mm-hmm. now I'm covering my caseload. I'm covering, I'm helping cover one of our vacant caseloads that has, uh, I think, 50 on it right now. And then uh, as fugitive team leader, I help them uh, cover our absconder caseload, and that's got 300 on it. 
So, wow. Oh my God. Yeah. With covering so many cases, how is it that you're helping people like on the rehabilitative side of things? Uh that's a it sounds like it's more of a uh, I'm just I don't uh, know. You you have to like with my caseload, I triage uh my offenders. Uh some of my offenders on my caseload really only are requiring to of me to check in. Uh, they're taking care of their special conditions required by the court themselves. Uh, and so I just kind of follow up with them. Hey, what step are you in an MRT? Where, you know, where you at in your IOP class? Uh, and I'm just kind of following up with that uh, versus my other offenders on my caseload that are actively going out and getting new charges and uh, things like that. They require a lot more one-on-one attention. But is there time for that? It's, it almost seems like you barely have time. Uh, just make do with what you got. Uh, Making it work, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, we we went through. Uh, we've got we had a big push uh, prior to uh, March. Our background checks were just ran by justice exchange hits that we got, uh, and now we're actually back to having to do manual uh, record checks on all of our offenders. Uh, since we uh, there's some situations where officers miss some charges and. Uh, got into a little hot water over it. Um, and so we're back to doing manual checks and we were discussing how doing a manual records check on someone each month, all the way from that month to the beginning of their supervision is just, I mean, it's impossible with 120 people on your caseload to, to get it done thoroughly. Uh, and my, my comment to our supervisors with that, it's, it's not that we can't do it. We just can't do it with the caseload numbers we have. If they would hire more, uh, if the state would provide us more positions and hire more officers, then we would be able to do all the background checks they want. Mm, so you guys do it yourselves. Each yes. officer does it themselves. Oh, okay. Chris, you do it yourself too? Well, we we get we get alerts um, through the through the courts if people are arrested and receive new charges. So it's not something that we have to constantly check, um, you know, all the time because we'll we'll get an alert saying, "Hey, this person got a traffic ticket," or "Hey, this person has an unserved warrant," or "This person, you know, um, has a pending charge and was released," or whatever. Um, so then, when so we you don't keep a copy up, of know, the criminal record in their file. Their previous criminal record to the point right from right before they got on probation, yes. That, and you that, don't do that it we, annually or you know what I'm saying, every so often, every six months or something, just run it and update it and put the updated one in the file? No, no, we don't have to do that. We just have to put the one in from when they first got on. And then like I said, while they're on probation, we keep track of any new or pending charges. Mm. Chris, does uh does that system alert you guys to out of state arrests? Um, no. no, that's no, that's only an in-state thing. That's why you need to run it. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we got in trouble. Uh, was the the offender that made the news had gotten a new felony conviction out of state? And but see, there would be no way we would know that. There's no way we would know. We don't have we, any way of checking that. We we use the justice exchange system, and so we any state well, we don't. Yeah, we don't exchange. We can we can get through theirs. How how we were supposed to monitor it, but. It wasn't alerting us on certain arrests, and this one slipped through. Apparently, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't do, we don't use that at all here. Nah. Yeah. So when you run the background, you don't see. Okay, this is getting a little out of hand. Okay, I'm not gonna keep touching on that. We're gonna talk about this <laughs> off camera. I mean, <laughs> off air. Okay. <laughs> getting a little deep. Background in state on in state only. <laughs> it's getting a little deep. I can't give people too much information. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of that's all the questions that I had, Chris. I mean, that's all the combo that I had. 
yeah, that's what, I, that's really going to be happy, you guys. Is there any, anything that you guys want to end on? Anything you want to share in terms of, you know, being a probation couple and how's that? How, <laughs> how's that? At, how's that at home? And I guess it's good because you guys can relate. No, we need to save that for the Instagram. If y'all want to know how it's going, go to the Instagram <laughs> and Mister and Mrs. Po. Okay, y'all. <laughs> well, you know what, Jackie? Thank you. Welcome to the Two Hats family. Thank Kevin, you. you know you've been a veteran family member, so we appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you guys coming on. Um, we guys hope that everyone listening that you've heard or picked up on something in terms of what the training is like to be a probation officer from what Brittany had to go through, through myself, Kevin, Jackie, what we had to go through in our respective states. And of course, you know, uh, Lynn talked about what you have to go through when you actually have to go to a police academy. So get the whole gambit of what you have to go through, depending on your state, your location. Um, so we hope you guys learned something from that. So please make sure you follow us on at two hats podcast on Instagram. Um, you can follow Brittany at. What? Why you never finished the sentence? I'll be sitting here looking Same. dumb. Follow your favorite PO on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and TikTok and anywhere Google.com will take you. You're going to find your favorite PO. And of course, we're available on all the listening platforms. We have a YouTube channel. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, um, anchor fm and all all, we're on all of them i'm sure if you're listening to us you already found out how to listen to us Um, if you'd like to be featured make sure you send us the dm on instagram or email us at two heads podcast at gmail.com and you guys be safe out there it's getting hot you know the craziest come out when it gets hot Mm -hmm.